Have you ever been in the presence of anyone famous? There's something about famous people that we just like being around. It might be celebrities or royalty. In fact, in November, Mary and I went to England to visit our daughter and son-in-law, and we spent two days together in London. And while we were in London, we went to the Imperial War Museum. And when we got there, it was all cordoned off, and the crowds couldn't get into the museum. So I went up to one of the guards. I said, hey, what's going on? He said, oh, we have some special guests coming, dignitaries. I said, who are they? He said, we don't know. It's a surprise. I said, it's us. We're from Canada. So we had a good laugh. And then we uh, worked our way into the crowd. We thought we'd stay and find out who this famous person or people were. And sure enough, after a while, this Land Rover pulled up. And out stepped Lady Kate of the royal family. We were just a little ways away, so we're snapping pictures and taking selfies, so she's in the background. And there's, there's just something about famous people. It might be rock stars or sports stars or people of notoriety, but I think the reason we like to be around them is because it makes us feel a little greater ourselves when we're around people of greatness. So uh, could I take a minute this morning and boast about my famous people hall of fame? Thank you. I'm going to anyhow, but it, it works better if you're in agreement. So here's my first one. This is me with Franklin Graham. Son of Billy Graham, founder of Samaritan's Purse, works all over the world. That's me on the left, by the way. And then the second one here is our family with the famous Milt Stiegel of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the most famous football player to play for the Blue Bombers. And uh, that's me right beside Milt on the left there. The third one is the Honorable Andrew Micklefield, MLA of Manitoba. And that's me on the left again. The next one is Buzz Lightyear and Woody from the famous Toy Story. And I'm, I'm the one in the middle. And if you look closely, Buzz Lightyear looks an awful lot like Norm Zazalek from our South Congregation, Pastor Norm. The next one is the beautiful Princess Leah of Star Wars. There she is. There I am. Now the next one is the most famous one of all. It's my absolute favorite in all my collection. It's my grandson, Jack. (laughs) Okay, kidding aside, today I want to talk about living in the presence of the greatest greatness. I want to talk today about living in the presence of God. Because that's where we belong. You and I were made, not for religion. We were made to live in his presence. And there isn't anything, there's nothing in the world that is more precious than the manifest presence of God. It's what we mean by a life of worship. Because the goal and the privilege of worship 
is not singing. It's not music. It's carrying his presence. You have a little note. You have, you have a handout in your bulletin there with some notes on it so you, you don't have to write as furiously. There's a few blanks to fill in, but there's some stuff on there. You can take it home. You can study it. But I don't think there's anything more important, more exciting, more thrilling than understanding the manifest presence of God and we being carriers of his presence. Our eldest daughter, Rebecca, when she was four years old, we were sitting around the dinner table one night on Elm Street, and the doorbell went, ding dong. <gasps> Rebecca was so earnest. Her face was so serious, she said, it's the Lord. Mary and I looked at each other. We smiled. We said, ah, Rebecca, actually, I think it's Uncle Davy." The board doorbell went again, ding dong. She said, no, it's the Lord. She raced down off the chair. She ran to the front door. We could hear fumbling with the door, getting it open. And then this little voice came from the foyer. Oh, no, it's only Uncle Davy. <laughs> but that little girl had an expectation for a visitation from God. And that's a biblical ex- expectation. Because God himself wants to manifest his presence among us. And when God shows up, everything changes. The atmosphere changes. The climate changes. Situations change. Attitudes change. Conditions change. Religion changes. Boredom changes. I remember before we built this facility here, we, our, our, our uh, meeting room used to be just on the other side of this wall. And I remember having school uh, assembly one day. We must have had about 60 or 70 kids in the school by that time. And we invited the presence of God to come in one of our uh, assemblies. And these kids were falling down under the power of God. There were little bodies all over the room, all around the perimeter. And some of them were laughing and some of them were weeping and some of them were shaking and some of them were repenting. And the parents were all waiting out in the parking lot. But nobody was going anywhere because the presence was there. And these kids were just lapping up the presence of God. I believed in God since I was a little boy, but he was far away. When I was 19, I encountered his presence. And everything changed. My whole life changed. And Maybe you're here this morning and there's never been a time in your life when you have encountered the manifest presence of God. He wants to do that this morning. He wants to meet with you. Maybe you have and you've, you've lost his presence somewhere along the journey of life. He wants to engage you. He wants to, you to experience his manifest presence this morning. I want to try and answer three questions today. The first one is, what is the presence of God? Secondly, why should we covet it? Why should we desire it? And thirdly, how do we get it? 
How do we get the presence of God in our lives? If you would turn, please, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We're just going to look at one verse. The title of my message this morning is Carriers of God's Presence. Do you know God's original tent, intent was always to dwell among his people? Right from the very beginning, we're going to see this in Genesis. He, he, he just loves to dwell among people, among his people. And this is an incredible concept. God in our midst. And it's absolutely unique to Christianity. No, no other religion has this. Buddhism... Buddhism seeks to attain enlightenment. Hinduism seeks to achieve perfection through karma and reincarnation. And Islam seeks to please Allah by adhering to laws. But following Jesus Christ is all about the presence. And we see this in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. The very first mention of the presence of God. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? So God had created male and female, Adam and Eve. He created them for communion. He created them for fellowship. He would meet with them. But there was evil in the garden. The serpent, the devil, he deceived them. They disobeyed God. Something was broken. And that's where verse 8 kicks in. God is coming in the cool of the day. So, Lord, as we look into this amazing subject today, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. And we ask that you will open minds and hearts and lives, souls, wills. I pray that you will touch bodies today. And we, we ask that what we're talking about, you would demonstrate for your glory and for our deep satisfaction. Amen. So they heard the sound of the Lord God. This word Lord God we've seen before in Genesis 1. This is the Hebrew word Yahweh for Lord. It's the supreme name of God, Yahweh. I am who I am. And then God is the Hebrew word Elohim. And that's the supreme title for God, meaning the Almighty. So they heard the sound of I am the Almighty Walking in the cool of the day. This word cool is the Hebrew word ruach. We saw that in Genesis 1 as well. It means breath or wind. And it seems like God would come in the breeze of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. This is the very first mention of the word presence of God in the Bible. And there's a principle of interpretation in the scripture called the law of first mention. 
And it goes like this. How a word or concept appears the very first time it appears in the scripture sets a precedent for how it is to be interpreted and the characteristics that come out in it throughout the rest of the Bible. So here we have the very first time the presence of God is mentioned. And this word presence is the word face. Face. The face of God. It it, it means literally God turning toward. And we see Moses use this a few books later in Numbers chapter 6, where he's giving Aaron's blessing to the people. Aaron's blessing the people. You remember it. The Lord bless you and keep you. Every time we did Bethlehem Live, Rick who played the rabbi and Pastor John who played the rabbi, they would stand right about here. And at the end of the little sketch, they would go, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face. That's the word presence. Make his presence shine upon you because God wants to dwell. With his people. Well, there's some characteristics here in this first mention of the presence of God. The first one is the presence, the manifest presence of God is tangible. Verse 8 says, They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Adam and Eve could sense it, it was a manifestation that could be felt and experienced it. We could hear it, feel it. Sometimes you can even smell it. Beautiful aroma. No candles, no incense, nothing. Just this beautiful aroma. It's the presence of God. And one of the God's names is Yahweh Shema, meaning I am present. I am there. In 1984, a group of us went from the city here down to Argentina because there was a huge manifestation of God's presence down in Argentina, not just in the church, but it was also in prisons. It was in the whole culture. It was amazing. God was just moving everywhere. Some of the churches were 90,000 people, 100,000 people. And one of the churches we visited was called Waves of Love and Peace. Guess how they got their name? The tangible presence of God. When you walked into the place, it's like you were hit by these waves of love and peace. You didn't want to leave. In fact, the church was open 22 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. They just had service after service. They only closed it for two hours a night to clean the building. And people would come all throughout the day and night. There'd be worship going and preaching. And people would come and just experience the manifest presence of God. So we went in. It was wonderful. We felt the love and the peace of God. Then we had to get on our bus. And as we got, we got on the bus, we realized one of our pastors was missing. So we went back into the building searching for him. He wasn't anywhere in the sanctuary. We found him up in the balcony, sprawled out on chairs, just soaking in the love and the peace. He just didn't want to leave. That is the tangible presence of God. The second characteristic is it's God initiated. God desired. Verse 8 says, the Lord God came walking in the cool of the garden. And it was man who hid himself from the Lord. God came looking for man, for fellowship, 
for communion, for enjoyment. And it was man who hid himself from God. What a wonder that the God of the universe desires to be with you. I'm amazed by that. The third characteristic here is God's manifest presence wasn't constant, but possible and regular. It says in verse 8, he would come in the cool, the breeze, the wind of the day. One of the divine attributes of God is he's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere, all the time, constant. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about his manifest presence. When God comes in a way that specifically, powerfully, tangibly manifests something and we experience, it's, it's immediate. It's his present presence, his powerful, profound presence. Sometimes it will come in worship. We'll just be singing songs and then there'll be a moment. It's like, the Spirit of God gathers everyone up. It's like there's one voice. It's like there's other voices in the room, and we know something's changed. The climate's changed. The atmosphere's changed. God has come in his manifest presence. And the results can be stillness. You'll just feel this stillness. Even the children who are messing around, it's like there's a stillness comes. Sometimes it's laughter. Sometimes it's weeping. Sometimes it's healing and deliverance and, and signs and miraculous things take place because God has come. Several years ago, um, we went to Florida and uh, we went to an outpouring of God's manifest presence there. It was a big tent. There were thousands of people. And I remember walking to the tent and I was really excited. I was happy. We got into the tent. I sat down in the tent And his presence was there. And within minutes, I was weeping. That wasn't sad. I was just weeping. I was melting in his presence. And the onion, the heart's like an onion, you know. It's got layers and layers and layers. And it just got peeled away, peeled away. And the tenderness and mercy and kindness of God, you could actually feel it was tangible. Well, the last characteristic here is that man was made for God's manifest presence. Not only was God's presence possible, but it seems from verse 8 that it was normal. God used to come walking in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve would fellowship and commune with him because you were made to dwell with God, and God passionately wants to dwell with you. Every human being is created with the capacity for God's presence, to know God, to experience him. In fact, someone has said, it's eternity in our hearts. And only the eternal one can satisfy that. There's lots of people in this world with lots of money and lots of fame And lots of everything, and they're absolutely empty. They're taking their lives. 
They might have a TV show or a big movie star. They have all the accolades, but they're empty. And the reason is they don't have the eternal one satisfying that eternity in their hearts. We were created for God's glory, but something went very wrong. We see that in Genesis 3, verse 6 and 7. A barrier, a condition called sin came in, entered in. We've inherited it. It turns us away from God. Something died. Something was lost. Something was broken. And that something was his manifest presence in our lives. Fear replaced friendship with the almighty God. And I believe there may be some of you here this morning that fear grips your heart and robs you of the presence of God. And this morning, Jesus wants to tear that fear away. And he wants to release his glorious presence to you. Independence replaced intimacy. Rebellion replaced reverence. But God is the great redeemer. And Genesis 3 ends with incredible hope, a prophecy about the coming victorious Messiah who would restore the presence of God to people. Well, the Bible goes on in Exodus 13. God is so earnest to dwell among his people. It says in the Old Testament, he became a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. His presence was manifest in taking the one to two million Israelites out of Egypt. And the Bible tells us here that that pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, it led them, it protected them, it guided them, it kept them, and it reminded them, God is in your midst. We have some amazing northern lights. Anybody see the northern lights last week? Yes, stunning, beautiful. I love it. I love it when they're green and yellow and red and white and they just dance across the sky. You just sit there and go, oh. Wow, God. But those northern lights, they could not hold a candle to the pillar of fire. That pillar of fire had to be hundreds of feet high. And it was swirling. It wasn't just a light, it was fire. The wind it created must have been amazing. And the sound must have been incredible. And it lighted the way for those one to two million people. Because God desires to dwell among his people. The Bible goes on in Exodus 37 and talks about the tent of meeting. Do you know what the tent of meeting was? Verse 7 of Exodus 33 says, everyone, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, everyone, because this is amazing, who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. God wanted to meet so badly with his people. He said, Moses, set up a tent outside the camp so that anyone can come and meet with me in my presence. I think that's amazing. (laughs) Just amazing. And then God goes on 
in Exodus 25, and, he, and, and that tent of meeting, it morphed, it evolved into Moses' tabernacle, and God gave him precise instructions of how to build the tabernacle. It had an outer court, a holy place, a holy of holies, and inside the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. It was a box, 16 cubic feet, four by two by two. It was all covered with gold, and on top of the box was a mercy seat. And between the mercy, or on either side of the mercy seat, were these cherubim whose wings touched, and their wings came out to the end. And in that, on that box, God's presence would rest. The Bible says God would come down in his presence above the mercy seat and he would do powerful things. They took that box into the flooding Jordan River and it parted the river and dried up the ground and the whole nation went through. They took that box and they marched around Jericho and the Bible says the walls of Jericho crumbled at the powerful presence of God. That box defeated Israel's enemies. It toppled foreign gods. The enemies, they, they got a hold of the ark. They stole the ark. And, they, and the enemy, the Philistines, put the ark, the presence of God, in their own temple beside their god, Dagon. And when they woke up the next morning, Dagon was toppled over. He was prostrate before the ark, the presence of God. They set him back up. The next morning they came, his head was cut off. His arms were cut off. There was just his torso laying there because the presence of God is so powerful. The ark inspired King David to have 24-7 prayer and worship in his tabernacle. There it was, out in the open, the ark of the covenant, the presence of God, and they were worshiping and praising 24 hours a day because God wants to dwell with his people. And then we have Solomon's temple. The presence of God filled Solomon's temple with glory. Second Chronicles 7, 1 says, Fire came down, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple so the priests could not enter. Wouldn't you like to see that here? The presence of God is so powerful, I could not stand up to preach. Peter could not stand up to lead. Ken could not stand up to give the announcements. The worship team couldn't get up to sing. You say, well, then how could we have church? Because that's what church has devolved to. We can go through all these motions and we miss the point, the presence of God. And I'll tell you one thing. When the manifest presence of God comes, these front rows will be filled. In fact, all the rows will be filled. In fact, we'll have to bring out all our old beater chairs and put them out, and they would be filled. And then there would still be people standing around and out into the foyer. It would be filled, and they would be lined up down the street because we were made for the manifest presence of God. And when God's presence is manifest, things happen. Things happen. 
You're never the same. Well, the fire, the pillar of cloud, the ark, the tents, Moses' tabernacle, David's tabernacle, Solomon's temple, they were all shadows of things to come. But one thing remained. We see that in Exodus 33. The defining characteristic of God's people is not moral standards, although they're very important. And the defining characteristic of God's people is not social justice. Good deeds are very important, but that's not it. The defining characteristic of God's people is not worship and praise. It's not even prayer. It's not preaching. It's not church attendance. It's not even love. The defining characteristic is the manifest presence of God. Moses is interceding in Exodus 33, verse 14 and 15, and God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses says this, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not bring us up from here. How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? Is it not your going with us? So that we're distinct, I and your people and every other people on the face of the earth. Well, finally, all the substance of the tabernacles and the tents and the boxes and the pillars is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in Matthew 21. He says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name God with us. Emmanuel. Finally, God in the flesh among his people, manifesting his glory and power and might, restoring the presence of God wherever Jesus went, revealing, not just restoring the presence, but revealing what a carrier of the presence looks like. And everywhere Jesus went, things were never the same. For three and a half years, Jesus walked and taught around Israel. He healed. He delivered. He saved. He did signs and wonders and miracles. He multiplied resources. He ruled the weather. He manifest the presence of God. But he was only one man in one place at one time. And then he was crucified on a cross. But his death and resurrection removed every hindrance to God's presence. We sang that today. The veil is torn. And it released unlimited capacity for the manifestation of God. Fifty days after Jesus' resurrection, he was in heaven. He poured out the Holy Spirit without measure, John 3 verse 34 says. Why don't you turn to a neighbor and say, without measure? Do you know what without measure means? No end. Unlimited. A super abundance. You would never want Jesus to pour you a cup of tea. Because he would pour it, it would overflow the cup. It would overflow the saucer. It would overflow the table. It would overflow the floor, the house. Jesus just never knows when to stop. And he's poured out the Holy Spirit without measure. 
And some of us are, we're satisfied with a little thimble. Oh, that's good. That's good. Stick it in my back pocket. That's fine. When, when Jesus says, oh, no, I have so much more. I have so much more. Hold out a bathtub. Hold out a basin. And I'll fill it and overflow it. In Acts 2, verse 2, the Holy Spirit's poured out. He comes as a mighty rushing wind. And it says, tongues like fire landed on each person. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Because God no longer dwells in a pillar or in fire or in a box or a tent or a temple or of stone. God dwells in you and he dwells in me. Individually, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your body, this is really important. You know, Jesus really cares about our bodies. This thing, you can do anything with your body and still believe in God. That's not true. That's not Christianity. That's Gnosticism. That's other religions. But that's not our religion. That's, that's not our beliefs. Jesus really cares about your body because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit personally. And then he goes on in, in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and says, Do you not know that you, you plural, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you, plural. So we're two temples. We are a temple individually. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. And when we come together, we are another temple. That's why coming to church matters. Because you're not our temple by yourself. And every single person makes a difference. And when we come together, God loves to manifest his presence in his holy temple. God's spirit is in us for communion and for sanctification to make us more like Jesus. But God's spirit is upon us for presence and mission. There's a difference. Someone has said God is in us by covenant, but he's upon us by invitation and hunger. He's in me for my sake, but he's upon me for your sake. Jesus said in Luke 4, verse 18 and 19, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me too. Preach the good news. He sent me to bind up the broken heart and speak release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. So what does it look like when God's presence comes upon a people? What does it look like for people to be a carrier of God's presence? In Acts chapter 5, there's a very strange description of the Apostle Peter. The presence of God was so upon Peter's life. It says they would bring the sick into the streets so that Peter's shadow would fall on them as he walked by. And it says, everywhere his shadow fell, people were healed. 
What is that? That's the manifest presence of God. Peter was a carrier of his presence, and so are you. When you let the Holy Spirit come upon you, when you let the Holy Spirit take you over, that's the presence. And you carry that presence everywhere you go. You get on the bus. You carry the presence. Your light. We have a couple right now in the first service. They were so impacted by this. They said, we're going over to West St. Paul and we're going to go to the spiritualist church of the light and see what's going on there. They're going to carry the presence of Jesus into that place. And there's thirsty, there's hungry people there. They want the supernatural. They want God. That's why we're here. When you go to work, when you go to school, when you go into your own home, you're a carrier of the presence. How old do you have to be? No age. Your children can be carriers of the presence. In fact, children many times carry the presence better. They're just simple about it. And signs and wonders and miracles and the supernatural. You see, we live in a supernatural realm as well as a natural realm. Today, you're sitting on a natural chair. You're hugging natural people. We have a natural realm here, but that's not all that's going on here. There's a supernatural realm going on here. There's angels in this room. There's this whole other realm. We can just step into it. We step back into the natural realm. We step into the supernatural realm. That's who we are. We're carriers of his glorious presence. Well, it looks like the presence of God on a people and carrying his presence looks like Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. It says they were, they were devoted The manifest presence of God looks like devotion. They were devoted to the word of God and to prayer and to getting together and worshiping together and fellowshipping together. It looks like awe. They were in wonder. They were just amazed all the time. When was the last time you were amazed when you came to church? Say last week, (laughs) this morning, Pete Pete was amazed. Pete was amazed this morning because the power of God, the presence of God came on Peter in the first uh, um, meeting, the first service, and it left him amazed. There's miracles, signs, wonders, the supernatural is happening. People are getting healed and set free. I remember years ago when, when we were on Heaton Avenue, We invited the presence of God to come, and it was still for about 15 or 20 seconds, which is a long time. And then suddenly there was, this person fell out of their chair, and they needed to get free of some things. And so people laid hands on them and prayed for them. They, they, They got gloriously set free, but it was in the presence of God. And there was a couple in that service from an Anglican background that morning. First time they'd come to the church service, and they froze in their seats. He grabbed her hand. He said, let's get out of here. But they couldn't get out because there were things going on. Well, they did at the end of the service. They left. They never came back for six months. 
but they had a desire for the manifest presence of God. And I'm happy to say they were here this morning. They've been in the church for years. They're serving. They're functioning. They're part of things. They too have become carriers of his presence. There was generosity, the spirit of, 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 of selfishness and the spirit of greed was broken and people were giving things away. There was just this super abundance and there was joy, incredible joy. And those are characteristics of his manifest presence. Now, I think I've answered the first two questions. What is the presence of God? It's God manifesting himself among us tangibly, miraculously, and transformationally. And why should we even want it? Why should we covet it? Because God desires it for us. Because his people are distinguished by his presence. If you don't have the presence of God, all you have is religion. All you have are rules. All you have is theology. You might have everything lined up like this, but it's empty without his presence. That's why we're create, we were created. And because only his presence will satisfy us and transform us. So here's the last question. How do we get it? How do we get the presence? And I'm going to make you work for this. I'm going to give you a few minutes, three or four minutes. I want you to get two friends. And uh, you don't have to go maybe with the people you're sitting with. If you want to, you're welcome to. But find two other people. Introduce yourself to them. And here's the two questions I want you to talk about for a few minutes. How do we grow as carriers of God's presence? How can we nurture his manifest presence in our life? And where can I carry his manifest presence this week? And don't say everywhere. That's way too easy. I want, you to, I want you to listen. I want you to be specific. Maybe you, need to, maybe you need to carry his presence to Barbara at work this week because she needs something from God. Maybe you need to carry it into your home this week. You need to carry it somewhere. So I'm going to give you a few minutes. Get your two friends. Talk about this. If you can't think of anything, then don't worry about it. Just say, you, you might be thinking, I, I don't even know what that guy's talking about. That's okay. I'm going to give you a few answers before we end. So take a few minutes, and I'll tell you when we'll come back together, and we'll give you those answers. Find your two friends, introduce yourself, answer the two questions up on the overhead. How do we grow as carriers of God's presence? How do we grow in his manifest presence? If, if, if God has said, look, it's not my end that's restricting this. It's your end. Then there must be things that we can actually do to receive, facilitate him wanting to dwell with us. So anybody want to volunteer? Yes. Thanksgiving. Brilliant. That's a great one. Psalm 95 says we'll enter his gates and his presence with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is wonderful. You know, when you're critical and negative and bitter and resentful and, and, and you're, you're a grumbler, the, God doesn't want anything to do with that. But when you become grateful and thankful in all things and for all things, even when they don't go the way you think they should, oh, he loves that. He says, oh, I can live with that. 
I can dwell with that. That's a great one. Another one. Humility, okay, yeah. Constant humbling ourselves. When you're wrong, acknowledge it. Going, and sometimes really hard. We have to get over that. But yeah, God resists the proud, but he gives grace. He gives his presence. He acts in the lives of humble people. Good, that's a great one. Someone had one over here. Repentance. Oh, yeah. That's that's a really great one. If you're going, you know, there may be somebody here this morning. You are going in this direction and God's over there. Repentance just means turning around first in your thinking and then in your actions and turning towards God. And guess what? When you take one step towards him, there's a story in the New Testament about the prodigal father. He rolls up his garment and he runs down the driveway after his son and it says he throws himself on him god takes ten thousand steps towards you that's great good one more time and space that's a great one in fact that's actually the very first one spend time in his presence You cannot rush in and out of God's presence. Jesus is not an app on our phone. We hit the app when we need something. He's a person. He's God. And not only does it require time, times in his word and time in prayer and time in listening to him, but it also means be still. Be still and know, experience that I am God. And sometimes we just need to sit and be still and just welcome his presence. He'll come. He'll come because you're his temple. And he wants to dwell with you. Good. Okay. Let me give you one more, maybe two more. The second one I had was a Holy Spirit takeover. Invite the Holy Spirit to take you over. And we get that from Acts 1 verse 8. You will receive power, the presence of God, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that word come upon means to overtake you or to take you over. And we see that in Luke 1. In the life of Mary, the teenager, the mother of Jesus, the angel comes to her and tells her she's going to have the Messiah. And she says, how's this going to be? I'm a virgin. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit's going to take you over. And the shadow of the Most High is going going to empower you to give birth to the Son of God. Every morning... You can pray, Holy Spirit, would you take me over today? And some of you need the takeover. You're sitting, you know, when we follow Jesus, we're supposed to sit in the passenger seat and he's supposed to drive. Some of you are sitting as close to Jesus as you can possibly get so you can work the pedals and steer the thing at the same time. Never works. It doesn't work that way. No, no, sorry. You end up driving and you end up driving very awkwardly. 
But when you let him take over, then everything changes. Then maybe there's someone here this morning. The Holy Spirit wants to take you over. He wants to overtake you, totally change you, radicalize your life. I had committed to being together. Acts 4 says they were all together with one heart and mind. And, and God was in their midst, shaking the building and answering their prayers. Being together is powerful. You know, it's in vogue today not to be, not to be in the church. It's in vogue. The church gets slagged. And, but I'm telling you, Jesus only has one bride. And if you have a wife and somebody slags your wife, that's, that's, those are fighting words. Jesus only committed to one bride, and that's the church. And he's getting the wrinkles out. And he's doing it with his powerful presence. And then lastly, you can take the Hearing God course. Coming up this Tuesday. That's what it's all about. It's all about cultivating the presence of God in your life. And if you've taken it, you can take it again for free because you're an alumni. But if you've never taken it, I want to commend it to you. It's a wonderful course in how to grow in intimacy with the Lord.